0: Hey everyone and welcome to the 48th episode of The Liam McCollum Show. All right, so this podcast is with Kendall Cotton from the Frontier Institute, and we're talking about a bunch of major healthcare reforms that the Montana legislature passed this session, including the repealing of certificate of need laws, the acceptance of direct primary care. We also get into the history of healthcare in the United States, why it's become so expensive, and why the United States does not have free market healthcare. Remember to subscribe to me on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Like, share, and give me a five star rating. And I hope you enjoy the show. Here's Kendall. All right, Kendall, it's awesome to have you on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, do you want to just introduce yourself and maybe tell people what the Frontier Institute is doing?
1: Sure, absolutely. So uh, I am the president and CEO of the Frontier Institute. And uh, we founded the Frontier Institute uh, in 2020. And uh, we are a free market think tank based here in Helena, Montana. And uh, we founded the Frontier Institute because uh, we really felt like for for a long time in Montana, um, it was, it was a one-sided story where uh, the only solution being told to legislators in the public uh, to all the problems that we faced in our state was uh, more taxes, more regulations, and more government control. And we really didn't feel like there was an, an alternative story being told that, you know, maybe we should try free markets and less government, and that can be a way that we can solve our problems even better. So uh, that's why we exist. We promote the free market solutions to the problems our state faces.
0: Have you guys been received? Are you guys gaining a lot of attention?
1: Yeah, we have. Um, we we just ended the uh, our first legislative session. Uh, Montana meets uh, with their legislature, you know, every other year. So we just wrapped up the legislative session, and um, you know, w- several of our policy priorities made it through to the governor's desk and were signed. Uh, we're very happy with how things turned out, and to be quite honest, um, I think that uh, states around the the nation ought to be looking at Montana right now because we passed. A whole slate of free market healthcare reforms, uh, with some really, really big, you know, priorities that have been, um, you know, talked about for a long time nationally, like repealing certificate of need laws, promoting direct primary care, expanding telehealth, and Montana did all those things. And you know, Frontier was very fortunate to be able to play a role in delivering those wins for Montana.
0: Yeah, and I definitely want to get into those um, specifically, Senate Bill One Hundred One. But before we do that, uh, I think it would be beneficial for the listener if we got into like the history of healthcare in the United States and then if there's any like distinct differences between or distinct differences particularly in healthcare in Montana um different from other states prior to this bill um but yeah do you want to just give a quick history of what healthcare has been like in the United States
1: yeah I mean that's a (laughs) that's a long complicated question um sadly but uh you know I it, from my perspective, I think that um, the history of healthcare in the United States is really a, a story about uh, government getting involved and in really screwing it up. So um, I, in, in my uh, assessment, I think really we ought to go back to the early 1900s to start. Um, so prior to you know the, the early 1900s, healthcare in the United States was pretty much uh, unregulated. Um, And in fact, we had the most uh, doctors per capita of uh, really any other industrial uh, country in the world. So um, we had kind of a robust uh, medical system developing with lots of different schools of thought. There was competing kind of schools of thought in medicine of different ways of going about treating illnesses and things like that. Um, And then what you saw is in in, uh, 1910, the uh, American Medical Association Uh, crafted this report and basically started uh, lobbying state legislators and the government to say that uh, we should only license a certain type of of medicine, a certain school of medicine, and we we ought to have all these, you know, kind of strict requirements for education and uh, qualifications to be a doctor. And, you know, that's where you heard uh, kind of these classic stories that you hear about, you know, snake oil salesmen going to, you know, these Western towns and duping people into these cure-all Uh, Medicines and um, in, in, for all intents and purposes, that's a fictional story that was spun up to gin up uh, fear uh, to pass these sorts of licensing measures. And um, what that what that did is it effectively uh, over the the next ten years, so from 1910, the next decade, you saw uh, literally half of the medical schools in the United States close, and you saw uh, the number of doctors in the United States get get cut in half. A lot of those doctors were uh, minority uh, doctors, um, you know, Jewish institutions, uh, a lot of uh, uh, female women doctors um, that, uh, that got kind of elbowed out with the new licensing regime. And uh, from that point forward, I think you have kind of a, a downward spiral where you have costs going up, but you have less access because things cost more. And so people are priced out of healthcare. So uh, you have those massive supply restrictions with those licensing requirements in the early 1900s. And then uh, you've coupled that. So jump forward to World War II. That's when we saw uh, the real expansion of insurance. So during World War II, there were strong wage and price controls. And, um, and you know, it was an attempt to, to help the economy you know, deal with the war and finance the war and things like that. But uh, employers ended up offering bigger benefit packages in the form of health insurance as a way to attract uh, attract uh, potential employees. So um, they actually ended up uh, lobbying the government and the government uh, ended up exempting all employer sponsored health insurance from uh, uh, income taxes. And so that created this massive demand. And so employers said, hey, we can escape a lot of tax burden if we just offer bigger benefit packages, more comprehensive health insurance, um, and so that really boosted demand because uh, the number of of uh, you know million millions of more Americans were getting covered by insurance for all these different comprehensive healthcare needs, and so that really boosted demand. And so when you have a boost in demand coupled with restrictions on supply, you have a recipe for higher costs. And so um, you know over the, the the rest of the decade, you saw uh, an increased um, you know we saw Medicare and Medicaid. Uh, get enacted that boosted demand even more. We saw other supply type restrictions like certificate of need laws emerge in the nineteen seventies, which restricted supply of uh, you know medical facilities, um, and so that's all you know kind of led to today where we have this this uh, situation where the United States spends the most on healthcare out of anybody else in the world, and um, you know especially here in Montana we actually have some of the highest healthcare costs in the nation. So. Uh, it, from my mind, it's really driven by um, a crisis of supply. Um, I think that's fundamentally where it is, but it's a vicious cycle because you have uh, government restricts supply, but then it incentivizes and subsidizes demand. And so that's just a vicious cycle that leads to higher and higher prices. And uh, really there's, there's no end in sight unless we can you know, develop alternative systems.
0: Yeah, so with certificate of need that happens at like the county level or something like that right it, it's pretty local
1: um most certificate of need laws are on a uh, kind of a state-by-state state okay. level um and yeah and for those who don't know what certificate of need is i mean it's basically it's like something out of you know communist russia it's um in order to start a healthcare business uh under a certificate of need regime you need to get permission from the government in order to start your business and uh it's even worse than just getting permission uh, before, before you can get permission, the government then surveys your would be competitors and says, uh, will this cut into your bottom line? Will this new business, uh, competition cut into your bottom line? And uh, that's a really, really bad dynamic for, um, you know, just market function in, in healthcare. So, uh, that's a really damaging law. Thankfully, Montana passed a bill to repeal almost all of our certificate of need laws this year.
0: Well, so where in Montana, where did that happen? Was there a board Yay. that determined whether or not there was need in Montana then?
1: Yeah, so there's a state level um, kind of commission set up that uh, created uh, basically an assessment or an assessment of need uh, each year, um, kind of estimating, you know, how much home health services are needed, how much, you know, nursing homes are needed and all that sort of stuff. And um, the, uh, uh, the calculations when they got new applications in the door uh, for new home health providers or whatever, um, they referred to that assessment of need to determine whether they should approve those applications.
0: And I'm, I'm sure there's a revolving door there with like in and in and out of these big hospitals and that board then.
1: Um, you know, maybe that's not something I'm aware of, but mm-hmm. I, I think that um, that's, that's the concern when you have these sorts of programs. I think a, a, another example of kind of what you're talking about is the way that, you know, Medicare and Medicaid set their prices. Um, it's not based on willing buyers and sellers. It's a prospective payment system based upon, uh, you know, kind of this Marxist sentiment of, uh, you know, labor has value, and so so it's this idea of um, we're just going to compensate you for what it it uh, it uh, costs in terms of your time to deliver a service, and uh, it's not based upon market interactions. So it's it's like price fixing, and it's really really damaging.
0: Yeah. So with the Senate Bill 101, then um, what does it do? It's the I think it redefines the definition of direct primary care.
1: Yeah, so, so Senate Bill 101 was a really interesting proposal because a lot of different states around the nation have already done kind of gone down this road and they've allowed uh, direct primary care, um, which is basically uh, like a monthly membership for primary care services, uh, doctors and kind of independent practitioners, they, um, you know, offer primary care services and they, they post all the services that they offer up front on their website. And uh, it's a lot like a Netflix subscription. So you pay Seventy dollars a month on average for unlimited access to these services, and in a lot of ways, it leads to a much higher quality of care and, and uh, uh, provider interactions. You know, a lot of these doctors kind of pride themselves in being able to, um, you know, respond to texts on the weekends and um, you know sh- show up at your door, do a house call like the old-fashioned doctors used to do. Um, and so, it's it's a really a, a new paradigm in healthcare. And uh, what Montana did is is um, something that's really important because. Uh, What's prevented this model from really expanding across the United States is uh, overzealous regulators, uh, particularly insurance regulators, who want to consider these memberships that don't have any sort of um, relation to insurance in terms of risk bearing or anything like that. Um, the, The regulators see these DPC memberships as insurance, and so that would require them to go through all the hoops and regulations and red tape that insurance companies need to do, even though they aren't that. So um, that's been prohibitive in a lot of other states. And so what this law did is it said that uh, direct arrangements and direct primary care is not insurance, shouldn't be regulated like insurance. It's a completely separate thing and it's sanctioned under the law. So we created what you know, what's called a safe harbor. Um, you know Basically the government saying that it's okay for these arrangements to exist and they shouldn't be regulated like insurance just for existing. Um, But the unique thing about Montana is that, um, you know, with this bill, we're kind of thinking bigger beyond primary care, and we're the first state in the nation now to allow uh, direct uh, patient care agreements for all types of medical providers, uh, primary care, but also mental health providers, dentists, chiropractors, you know, even some specialists so um, we're allowing kind of maximum freedom for doctors to really, um, and medical entrepreneurs to really just implement this model and develop new ways of caring for people. And uh, the cool thing about the model is that it bypasses a lot of that broken system that I was just talking about, the history of healthcare. care, because um, a lot of the features of that broken system is bureaucracy and all the insurance middlemen involved in order to uh, deal with these really high costs. And with DPC, direct primary care and direct patient care, we're getting back to this free market idea of medicine, where it's willing buyers and sellers, and it's people offering a product for a specific price point.
0: Yeah. So what were the objections to this bill originally? Because I know Bullock vetoed a bill similar to this.
1: Yeah, you know, the the objections that uh, Bullock kind of outlined in his veto letter, and I think he's actually vetoed it a couple times uh, in a couple different sessions. Uh, you know, the objections that uh, that he outlined were really rooted in, you um, you know, kind of this urge to pr- protect the ACA and Obamacare um, as, a, as a kind of a, a reform to the American healthcare system. And uh, the idea was, you know, these direct uh, patient care agreements, um, you know, are not like comprehensive insurance plans. And so they're not offering a full suite of, of, of services uh, like the uh, ACA mandated insurance to cover. Um, and so, you know, the, the Bullock administration characterized these plans as like, you know, junk insurance. And uh, these are just, uh, you know, kind of useless plans that are uh, redirecting consumer dollars and healthy people away from the ACA marketplace. And, um, you know, fundamentally that's not true. I mean, uh, in fact, I know a lot of uh, folks who are uninsured, underinsured with, you know, catastrophic health healthcare plans and really high deductibles, um, and even some Medicare and Medicaid patients who utilize the direct primary care doctors here in our state, because they really feel that it's a better value for their dollar. So they're willing, you know, if they have a a high deductible plan, they're willing to pay, you know, $70 a month to then get really, truly unlimited access to a doctor.
0: Yeah. And then I know another objection was that DPC can't handle emergencies, but I'm, I'm not sure that's like an argument against it, like to regulate it to the ground.
1: Um, yeah, that's just kind of misunderstanding the, the concept, I think. And um, yeah, it, it's, I think it's, it's really rooted in this idea that I think a lot of folks on the left have had for, for the last couple of decades that coverage, insurance coverage or Medicaid coverage or Medicare coverage equals health care. And that's just not true for a lot of Americans these days. When your deductible is $5,000 and most Americans don't even have $1,000 in their savings account, you don't have access to health care.
0: Yeah. Whereas, I mean, I know I could afford a subscription service, especially because, like, if I walk into a healthcare facility now, like, I could walk away just a, a checkup, two hundred dollars. Maybe they they won't tell me. They won't tell me upfront what it's going to be, and it could be two hundred to three hundred dollars based on what they do. Um, with yeah. this, I know. Well, I'm paying this much this month.
1: I'm- yeah, that's one. That's one of the big challenges with the uh, the current system is you know that price transparency because that's a that's something you don't see any in any other market, you know, is this, this these opaque prices and this secret pricing where you just you get a bill after getting your service and you have no clue what it might cost. Um, and it, it varies widely too between between hospitals, between providers, or even where you go in the hospital, your bill could be different for the same service. Um, but one of the cool things is, um, I'll give a really good example. So uh my hospital uh local hospital here in helena um charges it's around $100 for like a standard uh lipid panel blood test um blue cross is a is a really you know popular insurance plan in montana um they reimburse the hospital for that um that lipid panel around um i think it was around uh, $20 um let's see i'll check my math here yeah around $20 If you have a different insurance plan, like Pacific Source, which is another common insurer, uh, they reimburse around $98. So that's still pretty high. But the direct primary care clinic down the road uh, offers those blood tests as well. And they can say up front on their website that they uh, can do a lipid panel for uh, $7.50. No more, no less. So that's some pretty incredible cost savings. And it's all transparent and up front. So you know what you're getting right when you walk in the door.
0: Yeah. So something that I've been confused about insurance companies and the way that prices are determined is like, I guess, I just don't know why they, it would be more expensive. Is it just because there's a third third party involved? Because I think that a lot of people in America, they think that these insurance companies are lifting the price off their shoulders. So when you tell them, well, you don't need insurance, you can just have an agreement with your doctor. They're like, well, but who's going to cover the cost?
1: Well, I mean, we should remember too. It's not. It's not uh, totally the insurance company's fault. I mean, they're trying. They're trying to reduce costs. They have an incentive to do that. Um, you know, so they can make a profit. And they are dealing with a lot of regulation. So um, there's a lot of. You know, we talked about the ACA. There's a lot of mandates on uh, insurance companies that says that they have to offer coverage for particular things, even if the people they're covering don't want those things or don't need those things. Um, so that drives up the cost. Um, in addition to that, I mean, there's um, there's this thing called uh, network adequacy. Um, so that's what I learned about in the insurance commissioner's office in my past job. And it's this idea that, uh, so say you were uh, trying to start a, a burger joint, uh, a, a new burger joint, you're going to offer sandwiches to folks and um, you apply to the regulator of burger joints. And um, in order to be licensed, you have to, uh, put buy land and put a facility on every street corner that McDonald's also has a burger joint in order to get licensed and qualify as a legitimate burger joint. That's what net equ- network adequacy is for insurance companies. so it really limits you know kind of newcomers from coming into the marketplace and saying, well we're just going to cover a small area of the state and we're not going to go um, to the whole state. There's laws that say that uh, insurance companies have to offer coverage to 85% of the state. So um, that's a big barrier too. That that increases costs. But beyond regulations, it really gets back to uh, who pays. Um, so it's I think the classic um, uh, example that Milton Friedman gave, gave about uh, the economization of of value. So it's you know if uh, someone else is spending someone else's money, there's not a lot of incentive to spend it wisely. Uh, but if I'm spending my own money for myself, I have a very high incentive to um, spend it very wisely and seek the highest value. And uh, with you know, insurance companies and, and different middlemen involved, uh, with your healthcare dollar, uh, there's a lot of ways that uh, they aren't seeking the highest value and they're really just looking to maximize their profits. So um, there is a lot of kind of that predatory behavior um, in, in this middleman system. Um, you know, and the other thing we deal with too is, uh, especially in a state like Montana, is uh, really truly regional monopolies um you have these hospitals that control you know large swaths of the state and, and uh, different healthcare populations and you know insurance companies um their hands are really tied when they go in and um you know they need to cover that portion of the state under the regulations that we just talked about uh, but they really just have to kind of take whatever price that hospital wants to charge um, and they can negotiate as much as they can, but uh, at the end of the day, it's kind of in the hospital's um, purview to charge whatever they want. So um, that creates a recipe for for really high costs. Um, and so, from my perspective, really the, the the real answer here is reducing restrictions on supply. So we need to uh, boost more competition and choice in the marketplace, reduce regulations on building new hospitals and new healthcare facilities, uh, reduce uh, restrictions on. New medical providers getting licensed, and uh, and then also stop subsidizing, stop, stop these subsidy programs that uh, give uh, you know unfair subsidies for uh, for these monopolistic actors and these big hospitals and things like that. Um, I think that would go a long way to getting us back to a market oriented system.
0: Yeah, because isn't it? I've heard it explained that like the healthcare facilities will look at your insurance plan and then. Determine what they can charge you based off of that plan. So, I mean, is, is that an accurate portrayal of how how it happens?
1: Yeah, and in fact, they're they're contractually about uh, bound to do that. Um, so, I mean, they they uh, they enter into um, network agreements with insurance companies. So, if I'm a, a hospital, um, I enter into a network agreement, and what that means is that um, all of the insurance companies members can go to my hospital and get an in network rate. And so that's a rate that I've negotiated between my company, the hospital, and the insurance company. Um, but really, uh, what those rates end up being is a, is a percent of discount off of the hospital's charges. But remember, what are the hospital's charges? It's whatever they want it to be. Um, and, and when you have the hands tied of insurance companies, um, it really uh, it limits their ability to n- negotiate that down farther. Um, in addition to that, you know, we talked about the price, the prospective payment system of these government programs, which that's not based in in you know um, negotiation at all. It's uh, basically this commission or, or panel that sets prices based upon you know how much uh, uh, resources they think goes into delivering that service and how much those might cost. Um, so it's it's a truly truly messed up system.
0: How fast do you expect the market in Montana to move? Like. Um- I told my friends about this bill and they're like, okay, well, where do I go next? Is there a direct primary care facility here? Is there a way to mm-hmm. find people?
1: Yeah, there's, uh, there's a lot of resources to go and, and uh, find different uh, healthcare providers. Um, you can go, I believe the DPC Frontier, it's called, um, has kind of a map that you can look at of all the different um, DPC clinics across the nation, but also in Montana. Uh, a lot of the ones in Montana are listed there. Right now, Montana has eight different uh, DPC clinics in most of our major cities. So, uh, just recent, the most recent one just popped up here in here in uh, Helena, and um, it's a young guy who just you know graduated medical school, and uh, he's very excited about getting involved with the community. Um, it sounds like a great a great uh, service he's providing. But uh, with this new bill, now we've opened the door for not just these primary care clinics, but for specialists and all, people of all sorts to start experimenting with this. So I've actually gotten a call from a, um, a specialist um, who mo- you know, moved here. They want to retire, but they don't want to fully retire. They want to continue practicing medicine. And so they're setting up uh, a kind of a mobile specialty clinic to go service uh, rule, uh, you know, kind of underserved areas uh, and offer dermatology and other specialty services like that to those areas that might not, you know, have access to those kind of services. So I think that a lot of innovation is going to pick up here, especially with this regulatory certainty. Um, that's been a really big, you know, thing that's prohibited development of these clinics in the past.
0: Yeah. That's really awesome to hear. Are there any more healthcare bills in Montana that you want to talk about or any other bills that you guys supported?
1: Yeah. So, well, a really interesting one that ties into SB 101 is um was a SB 374 and that bill allowed doctors to dispense the medicine that they prescribe. So Montana uh, up until now has been one of the only, only five states that doesn't allow doctors to do that. Um, and it really, it goes you know far back. I mean, this, is, this has been something that has been uh, debated over in Montana since the thirties, um, but it's really been the result of a turf war between pharmacists and doctors. And so they've lobbied the government to exclude and elbow out their competitors, and what that's led to in Montana um, is, you know, doctors being unable to, um, you know, dispense uh, different drugs to their patients after they prescribe it to them, you know, save them from having to go and make another trip to the pharmacy, um, and they they weren't able to do that unless they were outside of ten miles around a community pharmacy. Um, the problem is there's almost no doctors in Montana that will qualify for that, under that arrangement. So it was really this protectionist law. And um, uh, the, the way that it ties into DPC is, um, with direct primary care, I talked about their ability to offer really, really cheap uh, lab pricing because they're able to cut out all the middlemen and just offer it at, at cost. Um, they can do the same thing with prescription drugs. So um, they can buy drugs at you know wholesale prices, and you get to skip the, you know, the insurance company and the PBM, whatever kind of markup or rebates they've got involved there. Uh, and then the markup at the pharmacy. So you, you remove all these different middlemen from the supply chain. And uh, what you find is that you can get, um, you know, prescription drugs a lot of times cheaper and for pennies on the dollar. Sometimes it's not cheaper. You know, sometimes if you have insurance coverage, it still makes more sense to go to the pharmacy um because they've negotiated better rates or whatever but um this law that montana passed allows patients to have that option and uh, it's especially useful for direct primary care practices because they're not looking to you know make a profit off of this they just offer this as an additional service included in their fee and they uh will you know just just offer drugs uh to their patients at the cost that it you know cost them to get it
0: yeah yeah that's really awesome to hear. Well. If there's anything else that you want to talk about, any other bills you want to bring up, please do, and then we can let you go.
1: Sure, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mentioned a couple other bills. Uh, we, we talked about certificate of need. We talked about direct primary care. We talked about this uh, physician dispensing medicine. We also expanded uh, tele, telehealth this year, which is a big deal. Um, you know, During the, the pandemic, um, there were a lot of emergency actions, and you know, some of those emergency actions were mandates and you know things like requiring masks but um some of the emergency actions were very positive and they were reducing this some of the red tape and regulations that were restricting um you know providers from offering things like telemedicine um and one of the things about montana's laws is that we prevent we prohibited um audio only just regular you know telephone uh telemedicine um and you know, so so mental health providers uh, couldn't just call up somebody and you know who was in a crisis and talk them down, um, and so that that was really a restriction on um, scope of delivery, and it really didn't make a lot of sense. And so it that law was waived during the the crisis over the last year, and so lawmakers in Montana unanimously got together and uh, and said, hey, if these laws had been waived during the p- pandemic, if we had to waive them to boost access to healthcare. Why did we need these in the first place? And they unanimously re- you know, repealed that law permanently and a couple other different restrictions on telehealth. So um, that was really, really good to see. And my hope is that we can kind of continue that momentum. I think lawmakers are kind of understanding that we can boost access to healthcare by repealing some of this unnecessary red tape and regulations that you know just artificially restrict the access and choices that people have.
0: Yeah, so I guess my last question then would be, where do you want to go in the future? What's what's your next goal?
1: Yeah, well, I, I think that um, we got to do a lot to you know promote these uh, free market alternatives to this you know the current system we have. I know there's a lot of folks on the left who say that you know single payer is the way to go, but uh, from my assessment, that's just more of this really broken system that we have, and it's going to end badly. It's going to be very costly. So. I think uh, the more of our efforts that are spent promoting these kind of uh, really free market alternatives like direct pri- primary care and direct patient care and uh, these really transparent cash-based alternatives, um, th- those will be efforts well spent. Um, but I also think that you know, based upon, I, I think the history of medicine in the United States, um, it's fundamentally a supply issue. And so uh, some efforts need to be spent on reducing the licensing restrictions for people to get licensed to be a medical provider Um, loosening up the scope of practice. So an example would be allowing doctors to dispense medicine. In a lot of ways, we can allow providers to do more with their qualifications um, and laws in a lot of ways stand in the way of that. So I think that that's uh, where our efforts are best spent right now. And that's kind of what Frontier is looking at.
0: Cool. Well, Kendall, if you want to tell people where they can find you at the Frontier Institute, please do. And then we'll Mm -hmm. let you
1: awesome so yes please go to our website uh, frontierinstitute.org um, we post a lot of content on the website uh, we also have a weekly newsletter that you can sign up for there uh, we provide updates on uh, policy current events and uh, you know kind of uh, legislative focus happenings uh, in Montana weekly so please sign up for that and uh, please reach out to us if you are interested in any of the you know ideas that we talked about here i know healthcare is a really complicated subject and in my opinion i don't think um, the the free market side of things has really had a cohesive uh policy platform to run on here and uh, that's kind of what our role is we're trying to put together uh solid solutions that uh, folks can get behind that are an alternative to just using government uh to to fix all of our problems
0: great well thank you so much kendall all right thank you liam
1: it's the weekend we can let go it's the and it's the get-go, it's the get